Homily 9 of 10 Homilies on the First Epistle of John. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 1 John 4, verses 17 through 21. Herein is love made perfect in us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Let us love him, because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he seeth, how can he love God whom he seeth not? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Ye remember, beloved, that of the epistles of John the Apostle, the last past remains to be handled by us and expounded to you as the Lord vouchsafes. Of this debt, then, we are mindful, that ye ought to be mindful of your claim. For indeed, this same charity, which in this epistle is chiefly and almost alone commended, at once maketh us most faithful in paying our debts, and you most sweet in exacting your rights. I have said most sweet in exacting, because where charity is not, he that exacts is bitter. But where charity is, both he that exacts is sweet, and he of whom it is exacted, although he undertakes some labor, yet charity makes the very labor to be almost no labor and light. Do we not see how, even in dumb and irrational animals, where the love is not spiritual but carnal and natural, with great affection the mother yields herself to her young ones, when they will have the milk which is their right. And whoever impetuously the suckling rushes at the teats, yet that is better for the mother than that it should not suck or exact that which of love is due. Often we see great calves driving their heads at the cow's udders with a force that almost lifts up the mother's body, yet does she not kick them off, nay, if the young one be not there to suck, the lowing of the dam calls for it to come to the tents. If then there be in us that spiritual charity, of which the apostle saith, I became small in the midst of you, even as a nurse cherishing her young ones. We love you the more when ye are exacting. We like not the sluggish, because for the languid ones we are afraid. We have been obligated, however, to intermit the continuous reading of this epistle, because of certain stated lessons coming between, which must needs be read on their holy days, and the same preached upon. Let us now come back to the order which was interpreted, and what remains, holy brethren. Receive ye with all attention. I know not whether charity could be more magnificently commended to us than that it should be said, Charity is God. Brief pause, yet mighty praise, brief in utterance, mighty in meaning. How soon is it said, Love is God? This also is short. If thou count it, it is one. If thou weigh it, how great is it? Love is God, and he that dwelleth, saith he, in love dwelleth in God, and God dwelleth in him. Let God be thy house, and be thou in house of God. Dwell in God, and let God dwell in thee. God dwelleth in thee, that he may hold thee. Thou dwellest in God, that thou mayest not fall. For thus saith the apostle of this same charity, 
Charity never falleth. How should he fall whom God holdeth? Herein is our love made perfect in us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. He tells how each may prove himself, what progress charity has made in him, or rather what progress he has made in charity. For if charity is God, God is capable neither of proficiency nor of deficiency. That charity is said to be making proficiency in thee, means only that thou makest proficiency in it. Ask therefore what proficiency thou hast made in charity, and what thine heart will answer thee, that thou mayest know the measure of thy profiting. For he has promised to show us in what we may know him, and has said, In this is love made perfect in us. Ask in what? That we have boldness in the day of judgment. Whoso hath boldness in the day of judgment, in that man is charity made perfect. What is it to have boldness in the day of judgment? Not to fear, lest the day of judgment should come. There are men who do not believe in the day of judgment. These cannot have boldness in a day which they do not believe will come. Let us pass these. May God awaken them, that they may live. Why speak we of the dead? They do not believe that there will be a day of judgment. They neither fear nor desire what they do not believe. Some man has begun to believe in a day of judgment. If he has begun to believe, he has also begun to fear. But because he fears as yet, because he hath not yet boldness in the day of judgment, not yet is charity in that man made perfect. But for all that is one to despair, in whom thou seest the beginning. Why despairest thou of the end? What beginning do I see, sayest thou? That very fear, hear the scripture. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well then, he has begun to fear the day of judgment. By fearing, let him correct himself. Let him watch against his enemies, i.e. his sins. Let him begin to come to life again inwardly, and to mortify his members which are upon the earth. As the apostle saith, Mortify your members which are upon the earth. By the members upon earth he means spiritual wickedness, for he goes on to expound it, covetousness, uncleanness, and the rest which he there follows out. Now in proportion as this man who has begun to fear the day of judgment mortifies his members which are upon the earth, in that proportion the heavenly members rise up and are strengthened, but the heavenly members are all good works. As the heavenly members rise up, he begins to desire that which once he feared. Once he feared, lest Christ should come and find him the impious, whom he must condemn. Now he longs for him to come, because he shall find the pious man whom he may crown. Having now begun to desire Christ's coming, the chaste soul, which desires the embrace of the bridegroom, renounces the adulterer, becomes a virgin within, by faith, hope, and charity. Now hath the man boldness in the day of judgment. He fights not against himself when he prays, Thy kingdom come. For he that fears lest the kingdom of God should come, fears lest his prayer be heard. How can he be said to pray who fears lest his prayer be heard? But he that prays with boldness of charity, wishes now that he may come. Of this same desire said one in the psalm, And now, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver my soul. He groaned at being so put off. For there are men who with patience submit to die, but there are some perfect who with patience endure to live. What do I mean? When a person still desires this life, that person 
when the day of death comes patiently endures death he struggles against himself that he may follow the will of god and in his mind desires that which god chooseth not what man's will chooseth from desire of the present life there comes a reluctance against death but yet he takes to him patience and fortitude that he may with an even mind meet death he dies patiently but when a man desires as the apostle saith to be dissolved and to be with christ that person not patiently dies but patiently lives delightedly dies see the apostle patiently living i e how with patience he here not loves life but endures it to be dissolved saith he and to be with christ is far better but to continue in the flesh is necessary for your sakes therefore brethren do your endeavor settle it inwardly with yourselves to make this your concern that ye may desire the day of judgment no otherwise is charity proved to be perfect but only when one has begun to desire that day but that man desires it who hath boldness in it whose conscience feels no alarm in perfect and sincere charity and this is his love perfected in us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment why shall we have boldness because as he is are we also in this world thou hast heard the ground of thy boldness because as he is saith the apostle are we also in this world does he not seem to have said something impossible or is it possible for man to be as god i have already expounded to you that as is not always said of equality but is said of a certain resemblance for how sayest thou as i have ears so has my image is it quite so and yet thou sayest so as if then we were made after god's image why are we not so as god not unto equality but relatively to our measure whence then are we given boldness in the day of judgment because as he is are we also in this world we must refer this to the same charity and understand what is meant the lord in the gospel saith if ye love them that love you what reward shall ye have do not the publicans this then what would he have us do but i say unto you love your enemies and pray for them that persecute you if then he bids us love our enemies whence brings he an example to set before us from god himself for he saith that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven how doth god this he loveth his enemies who maketh his son to rise upon the good and the bad and reigneth upon the just and the unjust if this then be the perfection unto which god inviteth us that we love our enemies as he loved his this is our boldness in the day of judgment that as he is so are we also in this world because as he loveth his enemies in making his son to rise upon good and bad and in sending rain upon the just and unjust so we since we cannot bestow upon them sun and rain bestow upon them our tears when we pray for them now therefore concerning this same boldness let us see what he says whence do we understand that charity is perfect there is no fear in charity then what say we of him that has begun to fear the day of judgment if charity in him were perfect he would not fear for perfect charity would make perfect righteousness and he would have nothing to fear nay rather he would have something to desire that iniquity may pass away that god's kingdom come so then there is no fear in charity but in what charity 
not in charity begun, in what then? But perfect charity, saith he, casteth out fear. Let then fear make the beginning, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear, so to say, prepares a place for charity. But when once charity has begun to inhabit, the fear which prepared the place for it is cast out. For in proportion, as this increases, that decreases. And the more this comes to be within, is the fear cast out. Greater charity, less fear. Less charity, greater fear. But if no fear, there is no way for charity to come in. As we see in sewing, the thread is introduced by means of the bristle. The bristle first enters, but except it comes out, the thread does not come into its place. So fear first occupies the mind, but the fear does not remain there, because it enters only in order to introduce charity. When once there is the sense of security in the mind, what joy have we both in this world and in the world to come? Even in this world, who shall hurt us, being full of charity? See how the apostle exults concerning this very charity. Who shall separate us from the charity of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword? And Peter saith, And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers, of that which is good? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. The consciousness of sins torments the heart. Justification has not yet taken place. There is that in it which itches, which pricks. According to the psalm, what saith he concerning the same perfection of righteousness? Thou hast turned for me my mourning into joy. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing to thee, and that I be not pricked. What is this, that I be not pricked, that there be not that which shall goad my conscience? Fear doth goad, but fear not thou. Charity enters in, and she heals the wound that fear inflicts. The fear of God so wounds, as doth the leech's knife. It takes away the rottenness, and seems to make the wound greater. Behold, when the rottenness was in the knife, the wound was less, but perilous, then comes the knife, the wound smarted less than it smarts now, while the leech is cutting it. It smarts more while he is operating upon it than it would if it were not operated upon. It smarts more under the healing operation, but only that it may never smart when the healing is effected. Let then fear occupy thine heart, that it may bring in charity. Let the cicatrix succeed to the leech's knife. He is such a healer that the cicatrixes do not even appear. Only do thou put thyself under his hand, for if thou be without fear, thou canst not be justified. It is a sentence pronounced by the scriptures, for he that is without fear cannot be justified. Needs then must fear first enter in, that by its charity may come. Fear is the healing operation, charity the sound condition. But he that feareth not, made perfect in love. Why? Because fear hath torment, just as the cutting of the surgeon's knife hath torment. But there is another sentence, which seems contrary to this, if it have not one that understands. Namely, it is said in a certain place of the Psalms, the fear of the Lord is chaste, enduring forever. He shows us an eternal fear, but a chaste. But if he there shows us an eternal fear, does this epistle perchance contradict him, when it saith, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Let us interrogate both utterances of God. One is the Spirit though the books too, though the mouths too, though the tongues too. For this is said by the mouth of John, 
and by the mouth of David. But think not that the spirit is more than one. If one breath fills two pipes of the double flute, cannot one spirit fill two hearts, move two tongues? But if two pipes filled by one breathing sound in unison, can two tongues filled with the spirit or breathing of God make a dissonance? There is then an unison there. There is a harmony. Only it requires one that can hear. Behold, the Spirit of God hath breathed into and filled two hearts, hath moved two tongues, and we have heard from the one tongue. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. We have heard from the other, the fear of the Lord is chaste, enduring forever. How is this? The notes seem to jar. Not so. Rouse thine ears, mark the melody. It is not without cause that in the one place there is added that word, chaste, in the other it is not added. But because there is one fear which is called chaste, and there is another fear which is not called chaste, let us mark the difference between these two fears, and so understand the harmony of the flutes. How are we to understand, or how to distinguish? Mark, my beloved, there are men who fear God, lest they be cast into hell, lest happily they burn with the devil in everlasting fire. This is the fear which introduces charity, but it comes that it may depart. For if thou as yet fearest God, because of punishments, not yet dost thou love him whom thou in such sort fearest. Thou dost not desire the good things, but art afraid of the evil things. Yet because thou art afraid of the evil things, thou correctest thyself, and beginnest to desire the good things. When once thou hast begun to desire the good, there shall be in thee the chaste fear. What is the chaste fear? the fear lest thou lose the good things themselves. Mark, it is one thing to fear God, lest he cast thee into hell with the devil, and another thing to fear God, lest he forsake thee. The fear by which thou fearest, lest thou be cast into hell with the devil, is not yet chaste, for it comes not from the love of God, but from the fear of punishment. But when thou fearest God, lest his presence forsake thee, thou embracest him, thou longest to enjoy God himself. One cannot better explain the difference between these two fears, the one which charity casteth out, the other chaste, which endureth for ever, than by putting the case of two married women, one of whom, you may suppose, is willing to commit adultery, delights in wickedness, only fears, lest she be condemned by her husband. She fears her husband, but because she yet loves wickedness, that is the reason why she fears her husband. To this woman, the presence of her husband is not grateful but burdensome and if it chance she live wickedly she fears her husband lest he should come such are they that fear the coming of the day of judgment put the case that the other loves her husband and that she feels that she owes him chaste embraces that she stains herself with no uncleanness of adultery she wishes for the presence of her husband and how are these two fears distinguished the one woman fears the other also fears Question them. They seem to make one answer. Question the one, Dost thou fear thine husband? She answers, I do. Question the other, Whether she fears her husband? She answers, I do fear him. The voice is one, the mind diverse. Now then, let them be questioned. Why? One saith, I fear my husband, lest he should come. And the other saith, I fear my husband, lest he depart from me. The one saith, I fear to be condemned. The other, I fear to be forsaken. Let the like have place in the mind of Christians, that thou findest a fear which love casteth out, and another fear chaste enduring forever.
Let us speak then first to these who fear God, just in the manner of that woman who delights in wickedness. Namely, she fears her husband, lest he condemn her. To such let us first speak. O soul which fears God, lest he condemn thee, just as the woman fears, who delights in wickedness, fears her husband, lest she be condemned by her husband. As thou art displeased at this woman, so be displeased at thyself. If perchance thou hast a wife, wouldst thou have thy wife fear thee thus, that she not be condemned by thee, that delighting in wickedness she should be repressed only by the weight of the fear of thee, not by the condemnation of her iniquity. Thou wouldst have her chaste, that she may love thee, not that she may fear thee. Show thyself such to God, as thou wouldst have thy wife be to thee. And if thou hast not yet a wife, and wishest to have one, thou wouldst have her such. And yet what are we saying, brethren? That woman, whose fear of her husband is to be condemned by her husband, perhaps does not commit adultery, lest by some means or other it come to her husband's knowledge, and he deprive her of this temporal light of life. Now the husband can be deceived and kept in ignorance, for he is but human, as she is who can deceive him. She fears him, from whose eyes she can be hid. And dost thou not fear the face ever upon thee of thine husband? The countenance of the Lord is against them that do evil. She catches at her husband's absence, and happily is incited by the delight of adultery. And yet she saith to herself, I will not do it. He indeed is absent, but it is hard to keep it from coming in some way to his knowledge. She restrains herself, lest it come to the knowledge of a mortal man, one who, it is also possible, may never know it, who, it is possible, may be deceived, so that he shall esteem a bad woman to be good, esteem her to be chaste who is an adulteress, and dost thou not fear the eyes of him whom no man can deceive. Thou not fear the presence of him who cannot be turned away from thee. Pray God to look upon thee, and to turn his face away from thy sins. Turn away thy face from my sins. But whereby dost thou merit that he should turn away his face from thy sins? If thou turn not away thine own face from thy sins, for the same voice saith in the psalm, For I acknowledge mine iniquity, and my sin is ever before me. Acknowledge thou, and he forgives. We have addressed that soul which hath as yet the fear which endureth not for ever, but which love shuts out and casts forth. Let us address that also which hath now the fear which is chaste, enduring for ever. Shall we find that soul, think you, that we may address it? Think you, it is here in this congregation. It is, think you, here in this chancel. Think you, it is here on earth. It cannot but be only it is hidden. Now is the winter, within is the greenness of the root. Happily we may get at the ears of that soul, but wherever that soul is, oh that I could find it, and instead of its giving ear to me, might myself give ear to it. It should teach me something, rather than learn of me. An holy soul, a soul of fire, in longing for the kingdom of God, that soul not I address, but God himself doth address, and thus consoleth while patiently it endures to live here on earth. Thou wouldest that I should even now come, and I know that thou wishest I should even now come. I know what thou art, such that without fear thou mayest wait for mine advent. 
I know that is the trouble to thee, but do thou even longer wait, endure. I come, and come quickly. But to the loving soul, the time moves slowly. Hear her singing, like a lily as she is from amidst the thorns. Hear her sighing and saying, I will sing and will understand in a faultless way. When wilt thou come unto me? But in a faultless way, well may she not fear, because perfect love casteth out fear. But when he is come to her embrace, still she fears, but in the manner of one that feels secure. What does she fear? She will beware and take heed to herself against her own iniquity, that she sin not again, not lest she be cast into the fire, but lest she be forsaken by him. And there shall be in her what? The chaste fear, enduring forever. We have heard the two flutes sounding in unison. That speaks of fear, and this speaks of fear. But that's of the fear with which the soul fears, lest she be condemned. This of the fear with which the soul fears, lest she be forsaken. That is the fear which charity casteth out. This the fear that endureth forever. Let us love, because he first loved us. For how should we love, except he had first loved us? By loving we became friends. But he loved us as enemies, that we might be made friends. He first loved us, and gave us the gift of loving him. We did not yet love him. By loving we are made beautiful. If a man, deformed and ill-featured, love a beautiful woman, what shall he do? Or what shall a woman do, being deformed and ill-featured, and black-complexioned, she love a beautiful man. By loving, she can become beautiful. Can he, by loving, become handsome? He loves a beautiful woman, and when he sees himself in a mirror, he is ashamed to lift up his face to her, his lovely one, of whom he is enamored. What shall he do, that he may be beautiful? Does he wait for good looks to come? Nay, rather, by waiting, old age is added to him, and makes him uglier. There is nothing then to do, there is no way to advise him, but only that he should restrain himself, and not presume to love unequally. Or if perchance he does love her, and wishes to take her to wife, in her let him love chastity, not the face of flesh. But our soul, my brethren, is unlovely by reason of iniquity. By loving God it becomes lovely. What a love must that be that makes the lover beautiful? But God is always lovely, never unlovely never changeable. Who is always lovely first loved us? And what were we when he loved us but foul and unlovely? But not to leave us foul, no, but to change us, and of unlovely make us lovely. How shall we become lovely? By loving him who is always lovely. As the love increases in thee, so the loveliness increases. For love is itself the beauty of the soul. Let us love because he first loved us. Hear the Apostle Paul, but God showed his love in us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the just for the unjust, the beautiful for the foul. How find we Jesus beautiful? Thou art beauteous in loveliness, surpassing the sons of men. Grace is poured upon thy lips. Why so? Again, see why it is that he is fair, beauteous in loveliness, surpassing the sons of men. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in that he took flesh, he took upon him, as it were, thy foulness, i.e., 
thy mortality, that he might adopt himself to thee, and become suited to thee, and stir thee up to the love of the beautiness within. Where, then, in Scripture do we find Jesus uncomely and deformed? As we have found him comely, and beauteous in loveliness, surpassing the sons of men. Here we find him also deformed. Ask Isaiah, and we saw him, and he had no form or comeliness. There now are two flutes, which seem to make discordant sounds, albeit one spirit breathes into both. By this it is said, Beauteous in loveliness, surpassing the sons of men. By that it is said in Isaiah, We saw him, and he had no form or comeliness. By one spirit are both flutes filled, they make no dissonance. Turn not away thine ears, apply the understanding. Let us ask the Apostle Paul, and let him expound to us the unison of the two flutes. Let him sound to us the notes, beauteous and loveliness surpassing the sons of men, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let him sound to us also the notes, we saw him, and he had no form nor comeliness. He made himself of no reputation, taking upon him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, and in the fashion found as man. He had no form nor comeliness, that he might give thee form and comeliness. What form? What comeliness? The love which is in charity. That loving, thou mayest run, running mayest love. Thou art fair now, but stay not thy regard upon thyself, lest thou lose what thou hast received. Let thy regards terminate in him by whom thou wast made fair. Be thou fair only to the end he may love thee. But do thou direct thy whole aim to him. Run thou to him, seek his embraces, fear to depart from him, that there may be in thee the chaste fear, which endureth for ever. Let us love, because he first loved us. If any man say, I love God, what God? Wherefore love we? Because he first loved us, and gave us to love. He loved us ungodly, to make us godly. Loved us unrighteous, to make us righteous. Loved us sick, to make us whole. Ask each several man, let him tell thee, if he love God, he cries out, he confesses, I love, God knoweth. There is another question to be asked. If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. By what provest thou that he is a liar? Here, for he that loveth not his brother, whom he seeth, how can he love God, whom he seeth not? What then? Does he that love a brother love God also? He must of necessity love God, must of necessity love him that is love itself. Can one love his brother and not love love? Of necessity he must love love. What then? Because he love love, does it follow that he loves God? Certainly it does follow. In loving love he loves God. Or hast thou forgotten what thou sayest a little while ago? Love is God. If love is God, whoso loveth love loveth God. Love then thy brother, and feel thyself assured. Thou canst not say, I love my brother, but I do not love God. As if thou liest, if thou sayest, I love God, when thou lovest not thy brother. So thou art deceived when thou sayest, I love my brother. If thou think that thou lovest not God, of necessity must thou who lovest thy brother love love itself. But love is God, therefore of necessity must he love God. Whoso lovest his brother, but if thou love not the brother whom thou seest, how canst thou love God whom thou seest not? Why does he not see God? 
because he has not love itself, that he does not see God, is because he has not love, that he has not love. It is because he loves not his brother. The reason then why he does not see God is that he has not love. For if he have love, he sees God, for love is God. And that eye is becoming more and more purged by love, to see that unchangeable substance, in the presence of which he shall always rejoice, which he shall enjoy to everlasting, when he is joined with the angels. Only let him run now, that he may at last have gladness in his own country. Let him love his pilgrimage, not love the way. Let all be bitter, save him that called us, until we hold him fast. And say what is said in the psalm, Thou hast destroyed all that go a-whoring from thee. And who are they that go a-whoring? They that go away and love the world. But what shalt thou do? He goes on and says, But for me it is good to cleave to God. All my good is to cleave unto God freely. For if thou question him and say, For what dost thou cling to him? And he should say, That he may give me. Give thee what? It is he that made heaven, he that made the earth. What shall he give thee? Already thou art cleaving to him. Find something better, and he shall give it thee. For he that loveth not his brother whom he seeth, how can he love God whom he seeth not? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Marvelous fine talk it was, that thou didst say, I love God, and hatest thy brother. O murderer, how lovest thou God? Hast thou not heard above in this very epistle, he that hateth his brother is a murderer? Yea, but I do verily love God, however I hate my brother. Thou dost verily not love God, if thou hate thy brother, and now I make it good by another proof. The same apostle hath said, He gave us commandment that we should love one another. How canst thou be said to love him whose commandment thou hatest? Who shall say, I love the emperor, but I hate his laws? In this the emperor understands whether thou love him, that his laws be observed throughout the provinces. Our emperor's law, what is it? A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Thou sayest then that thou lovest Christ. Keep his commandment and love thy brother. If thou love not thy brother, how canst thou be said to love him whose commandment thou despisest? Brethren, I am never satiated in speaking of charity in the name of the Lord. In what proportion ye have an insatiable desire of this thing. In that proportion, we hope, the thing itself is growing in you, and casting out fear, that so there may remain what chaste fear, which is forever permanent. Let us endure the world, endure tribulations, endure the stumbling blocks of temptations. Let us not depart from the way. Let us hold the unity of the church, hold Christ, hold charity. Let us not be plucked away from the members of his spouse, not be plucked away from faith that we may glory in his coming, and we shall securely abide in him, now by faith, then by sight, of whom we have so great earnest, even the gift of the Holy Spirit. End of homily 9